0: Let's pray as we continue here. God, I pray that you would meet with us this morning and that you'd continue to move us into this pattern of thinking that life is more than us. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than our reality, than our kingdoms. And God, you want us to be a part of what you're doing in a much more significant way. So God, may you remove me and may people hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Not long ago, I watched a movie called First Man about the lunar landing on the moon, hence, lunar landing. And it was a story about Neil Armstrong and his journey from uh, a test pilot to actually stepping onto the moon. And it was incredible to watch the story unfold going from just an idea to going to suborbital, then orbital. And then finally stepping onto the moon to watch all the sacrifices, to watch the focus beyond the here and now to accomplish that task was incredible. If you were alive at the time to watch it, which I wasn't quite alive yet, I know that was probably a moment you will remember for the rest of your life. And there's something about investing your life in something more, something larger than yourself. And i got to tell you that they not only put a man on the moon, they put a moon buggy on the moon. That had to be some guy's idea in the back room. That he's, He said, I didn't want to just walk on this place. I need to drive on the moon. But with all, within all of us, there's a longing to be part of something more. Something more than our life. Something bigger than just our small sphere or that 10 foot radius around our lives, or that paper kingdom, or that plastic crown that we often can build for ourselves. There's been research done on what companies are able to keep employees. And what are some of the traits of a company that is able to c- keep employees? At the top, you might think it's paid, but it's not. Two of the top things that keep somebody as an employee of a business are the relationships you form with one another in whether or not you have healthy relationships, and if you're able to invest in something that you believe in that's bigger than you, that's more than you. Because when you grab a hold of a mission or a purpose beyond yourself, then you become willing to invest more of your life into that. At Durwood Alliance Church, we articulate our mission according to Acts 1-8 in Scripture and Matthew 28. Acts 1-8 we talked about last week, and Matthew 28 we'll talk about today. But this is how we talk about it here at our church. To be people who are transformed by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and launched on mission. And we believe that this is not a linear process, but that it's more cyclical. That as people experience the transformation of Jesus, and are empowered by His Holy Spirit for holy living and mission, they will be launched on mission. And as they're launched on mission, they're going to do things that other people encounter Christ, and those people will be empowered by God's Spirit and launched on mission as they experience God's transformation. So we've been talking about this over the last weeks, and now today we're talking about the launch. So we break down the area of launch into two areas here at the church. We say that we want to show Jesus with our words, or share Jesus with our words, and show him with our actions, That we need to verbalize what we believe, but also demonstrate with our lives what this is. Because we believe if you've experienced the transformation of Jesus, it will show in your, your actions and it will be shared in the words that we have. We encourage you throughout this year, and we began at the beginning of the year, to talk about showing and sharing Jesus. And we've said to you kind of like in general, hey, when you're doing this in your everyday life, please share those stories with us. So we have a board up here where you can write down how you're sharing Jesus with your words. We have a little thing out in the foyer where you can submit cards where you're showing Jesus with your actions. And then you've maybe noticed that big poster out in the foyer that's going from black and white to color as we continue to show Jesus in our community. We also have given you opportunities online that if you get our newsletter, you can simply submit these stories right there. And there's something about individually doing this, sharing and showing Jesus in your everyday life. But there are times that we should come together as a church and do this together. And so there's some great opportunities coming up, like Jen mentioned, that we have a spring carnival coming up where you can simply show up and volunteer and you can show and share Jesus at that time. There is Easter Sunday coming up, and there's little Easter invites, and you can go and invite somebody and see God transform their life. We're running a farmer's market for 20 plus weeks, and we're looking for volunteers, but it's not simply showing up, but it's showing up to show and share Jesus. And so we hope that along the way you do this individually, but we also provide opportunities collectively to do this as a church. So let's explore this idea a little deeper of showing and sharing Jesus according to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is known as what's called the Great Commission. That Jesus commissioned his followers to go and do something. And here's the words from Matthew 28. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. These are some of the last words recorded of Jesus before he ascended to heaven. And he commissions his disciples to go and do something. This section begins with Jesus saying, All authority has been given to me. So the way we show and share Jesus is with the authority of Jesus. We don't have our own authority that we go in. We go in the authority of Jesus. And Jesus has all authority. He is above every king, prince, prime minister, president. He is the most powerful one, the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. So when we go to show and share, it's within his power. Just think about it in this way. If you have a passport, and at least for U.S. citizens, I'm not quite sure if you're from a different country what what it reads in front of your passport. But in front of mine, it has a little statement that says the secretary of state basically tells whoever to let the citizen of the United States pass without hindrance or delay. And if they're in need of help to give them whatever help necessary and boom, go. So when I go traveling and I have that passport, it's not just me traveling. I'm traveling with the authority of this country and the secretary of state behind me that I can go in free passage and get whatever help necessary. So the same thing when we go to show and share Jesus, we are not going in our own authority. We are going in the authority of one who has all authority and all power. And so what do we do in that authority? We go. We go. It doesn't tell us to stay. It doesn't tell us to come. It says we need to go. This word go here, more technically, means in your going. Does it mean go to church? Does it mean go on a mission trip? Does it mean go to work? It means all of that and more. It means that in your going, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, we should be showing and sharing Jesus. That going could be going down the highway, going on the metro, going in the Uber, going to the store, going to work, going on a vacation. In your going, it tells us what? To make disciples. To make disciples of all nations. That as we go, we're making disciples. We aren't told to discover disciples. Like all of a sudden we walk on and we're like, hey, you're a disciple. No, it says we are told to make disciples. It's the difference between going to the store and buying a cake or baking a cake. You can go to the store and say, hey, I need a cake. Put some decorations on there and you you bring it home. There's there's not much beyond financial investment there. But to make a cake and bake a cake, that's going to take a little bit more love and time and effort. And hopefully if you did it right at the end, it's something edible. But making disciples is not simply just being a good person. It's being intentional. And then it's time in your life, in somebody else's life. It's about going and identifying somebody that God is working in their lives and saying, I'm going to invest in that person. Over the last week, we received a couple stories as you submitted as a church. And one of the stories that was submitted was this. I took a pregnant teenage girl to a young life group for teen moms, and she loved it. That is going. That is making disciples. Here's another story from Rose. I met Miss Sally at a bus station, and we take the same bus. While in the bus, I share about our church and invite her to come and pray with me, and she promised to come when she got a chance. I always shared Jesus with her. In Rose is going. She's showing and sharing Jesus. She's trying to make disciples. And a disciple is simply a student or an apprentice of a teacher. That a disciple is somebody who's saying, I have a teacher that I am following, and I'm becoming more and more like that teacher. But it's not just in words, it's also following in actions. Jesus states it like this in Luke 6.40. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. You can kind of see the Karate Kid movie if you're into that. A fully trained disciple will think, will act, will sound, will look and live like their teacher. When you see a disciple of somebody, you will quickly identify who their teacher is. The Apostle Paul states it like this to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. That Paul said, follow my example as I'm following the example of Christ. So when you look at Paul, you should see just as much Jesus as Paul. Parents, teachers, leaders, bosses, don't expect the people that you are leading to do something that you are unwilling to do yourself. We need to model what we expect other people to do. You can talk all you want about how people are supposed to live, but until you live that life out, it's not going to make a difference. I've tried to, since the beginning of the year, ramp up my working out a little bit. But what I've done is I've invited my kids to work out with me. I haven't sat on the couch and said, I'm going to have some chips and a couple sodas, and I'm going to watch you work out because you need to work out, kid. I've said, no, come with me and come running with me. Come watch this video and let's work out together. Because I don't expect my children to do something that I am unwilling to do. And it's the same with being a disciple. If you're discipling somebody, if we're trying to make people look like Jesus, but we're unwilling to model what that looks like, don't think that they will do what we are unwilling to do. All of us are disciples. It's just a matter of who our teachers are. All of us are disciples. It's just a matter of who your teacher is. All of us are following somebody. Maybe you're following yourself, a celebrity, a politician, a scholar, your neighbors, a caregiver, a parent, a YouTube star. It might be wanting to be like your brother or sister or a friend, but all of us are following someone and wanting to be like them. So who is discipling you? Who is it that has your ear and has your heart? Who is your teacher? Who is the one that is influencing you The most. I remember in my days in high school, my group of friends were rough. They partied, had dirty mouths, listened to rock and roll, and had mullets. If you don't know what a mullet is, just do a Google image search and you will discover mullets. All right, they are incredible. And sometimes when I was in this group of friends, I was the one discipling. I was the one teaching. And other times I was being discipled by them. But I can tell you that I grew a mullet. Now I couldn't. I can only grow a skullet. I partied. I had a dirty mouth. I rocked out. Because I was just like my friends. I was being discipled by them. I was following those around me. You tell me the people you follow on social media, the news you consume, the songs you think, sing, the, the things you read, where you shop, and I will tell you who is discipling you. I've met disciples of phones and cars food and products, politicians, and news news sources, and I have been discipled by all of these. Thank you, Apple. If we're not careful, before you know it, we can be so discipled by the society and world around us that we have little to no space to allow Jesus to disciple us. All of us are disciples. It's just a matter of who your teacher is. Jesus also said that when we are making disciples, we are, ma- we are supposed to make disciples of all nations. That we are supposed to make followers of all different cultural forms. That we make disciples in our culture, but we also make disciples beyond our culture. Because following Jesus takes on many cultural forms. If you go and worship with Followers of Jesus in Africa, it should look different than here. If you worship with believers in Asia, it should look different. In Latin America, in Europe, they can have different cultural expressions of what it means to follow Jesus. And that is a beautiful thing of the gospel. That making disciples is not about exporting your cultural forms, but it's about sharing Jesus and showing Jesus in all the beauty and diversity of culture. You can worship Jesus with a full band, and you can worship Jesus in silence. You can go to a church with a dirt floor and a tin roof and worship Jesus, or you can worship Jesus in a cathedral. You can worship Jesus through free-flowing prayers and liturgy. You can worship Jesus if you don't have a dime in your pocket or you live in extravagant wealth. Because making disciples of Jesus is for all nations, all cultures, all people. And what does it tell us to make? How do we make these disciples? Well, it first tells us in Matthew 28, baptize them in the name of the triune God. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in our making of disciples, we need to show outwardly what Jesus has done inwardly that we take this step of baptism and it's an outward expression of the inner reality of what Christ has done within us. Romans 6 puts it like this, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we too may live new lives. When you say yes to Jesus and you are publicly baptized, you are saying to the world around you, that I have died to my old life and now I'm rising anew to live for Jesus. It's a powerful symbol, both to the church and both the family and friends of saying, my life is now in Christ. And this is normal for a follower of Jesus. Believing and being baptized is a normal part of following Jesus. How else does this passage tell us to make disciples? Well, it states, teaching them to obey everything I command you. That to make a disciple, we need to teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. That's a huge statement. Where do you even begin to teach everything that Jesus has commanded? Well, we go back to one statement that rises to the surface over them all, and that's Matthew 22, 37 to 40. When asked by a religious leader, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. All 613 Jewish laws hang on this one hook. That you love God vertically and you love people horizontally. You love God vertically and you love people horizontally. Jesus continues on and states an expansion of this. In John 13, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We are commanded to, if you are a follower of Christ, to love your brother and sister in Christ. Why do you think Jesus needed to command that? Because love is hard. True love is hard. And sometimes the people that we get the closest to are the hardest to love. I don't know if you want to do this, but just even look around this morning in this room, and many of you are familiar with each other, and some aren't, but if you look around, Could you say you truly love the other people even in this room? Have you demonstrated love to other people in this room? Or maybe you're just sitting there right now saying, I don't want to look around because I know there's somebody that I might see that I don't love. (laughs) I really don't even like. And Jesus states here that the way that the world, the watching world, is going to know that the church, the people of God, are actually disciples of Jesus as how we love one another. That's a pretty radical concept in a polarized society around us, that we're actually going to demonstrate love to one another. A diverse people living together, worshiping together, loving one another, in spite of all our differences. And I can tell you this last week I've seen it happen. You're doing it. I've seen people from small groups loving one another and reaching out and caring for one another. I've seen phone calls and text messages of you caring and loving one another. And I want to thank you for doing that because that is going to be the most powerful witness to the world around us. First John 4.20 says, if somebody says, I love God, but hate a fellow believer... That person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? If we can't figure it out here and love people we can see in front of us, how can we say we love God? And vice versa. If we love God, it will spill over into relationships. And if we love people here, it will reflect in our love for God. When we lose the ability to love one another, when we depersonalize humans. And when I say depersonalize human, I talk about people with different ideologies, different ethnicities, maybe depersonalizing the rich or the poor, the old or the young. When we lose a love for humanity, we have lost our love for God. God has created every single human being in his image, imago Dei. From the smallest life, the most fragile life, to the oldest life, to those caught in poverty, to those who are being trafficked, to those who think with completely different minds than you could ever imagine. We all are created in the image of God. And we are called to love. Love for God and others is the number one defining factor for a true disciple of Jesus. This is not a sentimental love, a mushy love. This is a dedicated, strong, persistent, fierce love that drove Jesus to the cross. This is not a sentimental love. This is a love that said, I'm willing to demonstrate the full extent of this love by giving my life for you. If we are called to teach others everything Jesus commanded, it starts and ends with love. And this love will have us step out in risk, step out and risk our own reputation, our own desires to show and share Jesus to those around us. Think about the possibility if each one of us was willing to allow God to transform our lives, to empower us with his spirit and to launch us on his mission to show and share Jesus. Just the potential in this room and in this community and in all the relational connections you have is incredible. If we'd simply grasp that God is wanting to use us to demonstrate his love to one another. Think about the justice that we could bring to those caught in human trafficking as we take a trip to Cambodia this summer. Think about the neighbors and coworkers that are in need and are in periods of hopelessness or hurt or addiction or pain. Think about that person who is lonely and simply looking for somebody to relate to. And think about the opportunity that you are given to be invitational, To both show and share Jesus in simple ways in people's lives. So here's the challenge as we wrap up this series Are you willing to live for something more than you? I can't make you do this, but are you willing to live for something more than you? A kingdom greater than your own, a life that will outlive your own. Are you willing to prioritize Jesus over other things in your life? Are you willing to put down the remote and pick up your Bible? Are you willing to walk out into your community and pray for your neighbors and pursue those in need of the love and grace of Jesus? Because I believe that God has called us to live lives launched on mission. And if God has been speaking to to you this morning, on the way in, we gave you these crosses. I know they're just little trinkets. But my hope is that you take this cross with you as a reminder that Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he was unwilling to do. That the cross says that I will demonstrate my love for you by giving everything to restore you in relationship with God. And now he simply asks and says, will you do the same for somebody else and invite them to be a part of what I've already done in your life? If that's your intention, sounds like a wedding, right? If that's your intention, if that's your desire, why not put this in your pocket for a few days? And as you pull it out, have it be a reminder that there's a life that we're called to live that is more than you. Or maybe hang it on something if you want to hang it. Maybe if you don't like the chain, take the chain off. You can. If you don't want to do that, put it in the trash on the way out. But I believe that God wants us to live lives that are more than you. And we are called to be people that participate in a greater kingdom. And my hope and prayer is that you would do that in simple and profound ways as we show and share Jesus in our everyday lives. Father God, you are a great God who loves us so much. And God, you have demonstrated the full extent of your love to us by dying for us and willingly giving up your life. And you have called us to, in your authority, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything you have commanded us. And you have promised that your presence will go with us even to the end. And Father, may we be people who live for something more than us. May we be disciples of you more than we're disciples of the culture. And ultimately, may we see other people come to experience your transformation in their own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.